in this week's episode of ND Vision. It has issues and so on. But people are trying to make a comeback, just like they do in <laughs> all the cities, and so good for them. Um, I went to college at a little school in Ohio called Mount Union. Um, somebody once described it as the most famous school nobody ever heard of. But if I want to show you, I could show you the closest big galaxy to us, the Andromeda Galaxy, and show you on a great night through at least our typical size telescopes, and you're just going to see a fuzzy ball there, mm-hmm. right? Turns out that if your eyes were sensitive enough, the Andromeda Galaxy is as big as a full moon is in the sky. Really? It's, it's, that, it's a huge galaxy. It's just that most of the outside part of it is faint. Hello, and welcome to this episode of ND Vision. Today, I am joined by esteemed professor uh, at Alfred University, Dave Toot. And Dave is the professor of astronomy. And hi, Dave. Hey, hello. How are you doing? Good. Did I did I say it right? You're the professor of Physics astronomy? and astronomy. But Physics and astronomy? Yeah, that's fine. Astrophysics. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, Dave, every, every guest that I have on, I like to just kind of ask them to tell me about yourself. Which is... Something I'm really good at. Not, All right. <laughs> you tell me when I'm going on too long. I will. Um, I, I'll cut you I, uh, I'm just So I was um, born in Ohio, in oh. uh, near the Pittsburgh media market, but uh, in, in Ohio, in Steubenville, Ohio. Okay. And then uh, to the, uh, my dad was a Presbyterian minister. He's still alive. My mom's been gone for a while. And we grew up, I grew up a little bit in uh, Hopedale, Ohio, and then East Liverpool, Ohio, which is a... Sounds like a British name. Well, yeah, and it used to be a pottery center, um, oh. a big deal for pottery. By the time I grew up there, it was more connected with the steel industry in surrounding towns, and now it's one of the Rust Belt uh, towns that's really struggling. Mm-hmm. It's dropped from 25,000 people when I was there to about 9,000 people oh, now. Wow. And people, the city center has issues and so on. But people are trying to make a comeback, just like they do in <laughs> all the cities, and so good for them. Um, I went to college at a little school in Ohio called Mount Union, um, somebody once described it as the most famous school nobody ever heard of because okay. it uh, became a, a big power in Division three football. Oh. Um, Division three football, small school football, but they've won, won or gone to national championships most of the last 30 years. What is, what is Alfred U? What division is that? Um, division three as is well. Is it? Okay. Yep. And in fact, once or twice they played Mount Union played Alfred, which came up with interesting who circumstances. Did you root, who did you root for? Well, I... I had a neighbor at that time, uh, Ruth Ann McCarthy, who, uh, uh, or Fanton, her name's changed a little. Um, she took, helped me take two T-shirts, one with Mount Union <laughs> and one with Alfred. And I had the fronts of the two T-shirts sewed together, so I'd have one in front and one in the back. Um, by the time we played him the second time, which was when he actually played at Alfred, I uh, decided I had to root for Alfred because Matt Union just had gotten it all um, oh, really? so many times. And I, <laughs> I knew players on the Alfred team, um, but Matt Union won both times. So, um, and they win most of the time when they play. So, wow. so I studied physics and astronomy there, but also um, it's a school that's good in the performing arts. And I was really involved in that way more than I should have been as a physics major. And um, but so, that, so like plays or singing or all of the above. Okay. I was in, um, not all at once, but I was in marching band, concert band. Um, I played in the brass choir. I was in um, concert choir, um, jazz choir, or I forget what they called it, but a jazz choir. Um, I was in plays. My, sophomore or my uh, freshman sophomore and won my junior year and then finally had to bail because physics was getting more demanding it's it's so interesting because 
uh, Rick Whitwood, who who was on the podcast, uh, he he was a jock essentially. Uh, he played f- uh, basketball, football. Basketball was his main thing. He was talking about baseball. He's really into baseball, and then he was in a rock band. Yeah, and those are two things that you don't really kind of mix together too often. Yeah, uh, and then now you're uh, uh, an astrophysicist, right? That's essentially yeah, we'll what we say. Are. That. Yep, that's yeah, fine. And, and and you're in all these theater plays and everything like that. <laughs> so yeah, it's but so interesting. The performing, especially music, there's a pretty big link between music and physics. Okay. Um, and I don't mean I don't think of it as uh, when I'm a musician, I'm not thinking physics usually. But um, for example, Albert Einstein, who I'd never compare myself to in any other <laughs> way, was um, a very accomplished violinist. Mm. And and uh, there's. Uh, Maybe it's some effort to balance two sides of your brain if there is such a thing. But uh, so I've, I've stayed in music, actually probably started music before science I, because I grew up in a minister's house, right. um, sang in church choirs from the age of uh, six and uh, all the way through high school and college and, and continue. I've directed the church choir at Grace United for 37 years. Um, so it's that, And I've been in the Alfred University Chorus and the Genesee Valley Chorus and two plays in Wellsville. Um, no, one play in Wellsville, two plays recently, one in the last 30 years. Well, I was in Jesus Christ Superstar here in Wellsville. Yeah, here at the library. Was that the Players Club that, that yeah, did that? Yeah, the Players, okay. yeah. We, that was, they had a kind of a flurry of activity then, and then they kind of died out. Oh, Ooh, I made the f- the terrible mistake. Oh, you know what? A I'll video be- guy leaving my, my ringer on here. Yeah, I'm going to do that too, just so. <laughs> Please stand by for a brief edit. Brief stand by. Oh, there's no edit. <laughs> oh, it's okay. going to be in. <laughs> there we go. Watch two. Um, quick question. Yes. Uh, do you? Is it a requirement to be a singer if you're going to be a pastor? Uh, no, I, I, I can tell you. It seems like it should be, right? I can I can tell you on good authority. I've known some pastors who were horrible singers. <laughs> but they have to sing, though, right? Well, okay. My dad had an associate minister for years who. Wanted to be able to sing so badly, but he was he sang badly, <laughs> and he um he would stand away from the microphone and then sing in a low voice. Okay. But it still got picked up by the PA system some, oh, and, and if you were in particular parts of the church, all you heard was <laughs> him singing really low and not on you know any pitch that made any sense. And uh, um, I always felt really badly for him. So it happens, and he was a great pastor, a great pastor. But a lot of pastors do sing. Yes, yeah. some, some pastors sing as part of their, their stick. <laughs> um, so, yeah. My dad loves to sing. Is a so-so singer. Okay. So, yeah. So what? I mean, we, we you talked about you went to, to college for you know physics and, and astronomy. What got you into that? What made you want to? Because another thing that doesn't usually go hand in hand is is you grew up religious is you know religion and, and mm-hmm. science and, and astronomy. So what what got you into that? Yeah. Um, first of all, just to clarify how the religion and science thing works, mm-hmm. um, especially in Christianity, there's a subset of Christians who take the Bible literally to the point of being a science book, Mm -hmm. Um, and that whatever it says in the Bible about how the world was created is what is, what was. There's a much larger part of Christianity, and I think less well-known to people that don't do that, um, that take the Bible as a story about God's relationship with humanity, but also written by ancient people for whom talking about the Big Bang and um, 
how the and, and even the different planets were actually different worlds and all that that would have made no sense right so i don't know i won't pretend to speak for how god would speak to people but i don't expect to read something in the old testament that then would be an accurate description of what science says sure that's how i was raised so, okay. i mean that's how it was in my own family um and including my my dad um mm -hmm. as a pastor so People tend to call that liberal Christianity, and the, the word liberal has multiple meanings, and sometimes it gets abused in this context. Liberal can actually mean a lot of things when it talks about Christianity, but in this case, that's what I'll use. Okay. So that said, I was it was never a struggle for me with regard to biblical literacy and science. Mm -hmm. Of course, when you're describing a universe that has, um, as a significant element of it, um, chaos. Yeah. Um, Chaos theory. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and the fact that, you know, there's violence and, and, and then long periods of stability and so on. It's not a simple um, merger of what the science tells you and what, what religion tells you. So I would never claim. Oh, and I always like to have a disclaimer. As soon as we start talking about religion. Yeah. I'm no more of an expert on religion than, than the next guy, right? So with astronomy, I can claim some, some expertise. But I have studied a lot about, about my faith in, in, in general. And I don't, you know, it's, I would never claim that it's a very simple merger between the two. But, mm -hmm. I, but I do find places of overlap, places of reinforcement, and yeah. places where it's better for me to think as a scientist when I'm doing science and to think as a religious person, as a theist, as a Christian, when I'm... Uh, when I'm dealing with faith and yeah. with the meaning of life and so on, um, I would never trust a particular single scientific development <laughs> that seemed to prove the existence of God, and neither yeah. do I trust them if they claim not to prove the non-existence of God. So, very short answer, but... So, I mean... Did you start out just by you just love the planets? Like, did you learn something in school that got you super into it? Or how did you find, yeah, yeah. you know, that you wanted to be, you know, studying space and yeah. physics when you... Yeah, that that was your original question, wasn't it? The um, I think there's in my family with my um, my grandmother in particular, my mother's side mm -hmm. was uh, a school teacher. And it was one of her favorite things was to give, especially when we got a little older, to give us his gifts things that connected with learning and, t and science and so on. So I got my, like a lot of kids, I got my chemistry set at some yeah. <laughs> point, and my um, microscope, and, and eventually a telescope. They're so expensive now. <laughs> I don't know how much they were, you know, when you were a kid, but trying to buy a science kit for my kids, it's like 60-some dollars for a decent one. Yeah, you know? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. And, and, and I think for a telescope, I have lots of recommendations for telescopes that, that keep it, cheaper, but still above $100. I mean, okay. it, it may be under 200 if you're lucky. I think whatever my grandmother paid for my first telescope was probably too much just because it wasn't a very good telescope. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> but I got interested. I used it for certain things. I uh, then bought my own telescope at some point. Um, but also wasn't that good, although it was on a decent mount. And then around age 15, my parents took us on the Great American Family Vacation those of us of my age remember when cars didn't have air conditioning, and I was in uh, the southwestern United States oh in 100-degree weather with no air conditioning. <laughs> was it a, a – please tell me that it was a station wagon with a seat in the back. Oh, I wish. No. <laughs> no I, when I was a kid, I always wanted one of those. I, I wanted still to want sit. one. <laughs> I still want one. I do. <laughs> do they still call them woodies? Yeah. Because they had the wood the, on the, 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 the fake, fake paneling. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> the rich mahogany. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, we. This was, uh, you know, a, basically a five-passenger, um, I believe that was an Oldsmobile. 
Okay. Not a giant car, although by current standards, it would be, seem kind of big. And so we went on this trip, and one of the we went to the Grand Canyon. We were in uh, um, Phoenix area, between the Grand Canyon and Phoenix is the uh, the town of Flagstaff, Arizona, mm-hmm. and the it, it, it's home of the Lowell Observatory. All right. Um, Percival Lowell's relatively famous slash infamous wrote lots of observations of Mars that turned out to be completely fanciful. Um, <laughs> I mean, he was really doing it, but he just was seeing things that weren't there. Um, the uh, but the observatory is a serious observatory, um, relatively small. We did a tour there and then um, got to see through. Um, um, I can't tell you what size telescope, a decent size, not not gigantic. And then uh, there's a lecture. I was definitely set on fire a bit at that point. Okay. So, but the honest truth is, when I got to gra- undergraduate school, I uh, went in there thinking I'm either going to major in music or I'm going to major in physics and astronomy. Okay. Sc- little school, Mount Union, could do both. Just, mm-hmm. just like you sort of can at Alfred now. And when I uh, got there, you had to take music theory right away if you're going to be a music major. But when physics, you could take things kind of, you had to take math, but there was beyond that, there wasn't huge requirements that you're mm-hmm. committed to it. So I just didn't do the music major piece, piece by piece. Never did declare a physics major. And at some point, somebody put it in for me, I guess. And, uh, and so then I finished there. And then I, if you really want to work in physics, I, first of all, I really like small colleges. Um, yeah. So my, in my experience at Mount Union, is a big part of that. And I knew that was a good place for me to go. Um, even then, I was pretty sure I wasn't going to be, you know, an earth-shattering uh, researcher. Right. Um, so I, went, I applied to graduate schools. One of the places I got into was University of Colorado in Boulder. Oh, wow. Went out there. Um, and, uh, you know, my life, I went through some rough bumps in my life at that point, but wound up coming back with, with a new wife. <laughs> and, were, oh, uh, were you married that's before? The, uh, yeah, I was, yeah. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. And, and I, uh, my first wife and I moved out there, and then we separated, and I met Kim, and, uh, and we moved back. So you met Kim in in Boulder, Boulder, and moved. Well, no, she and her she, husband had split up, and she and I met each other after that, so right around that time. So fate, yes. it's fate, <laughs> and that meant that I, uh, when she and I got married, then she had two children by her first marriage, and so I had two stepkids, uh, Abby nice. and Chris. And uh, when it came time to look for work, it was tough because uh, their father at that time was living out in uh, in, in the Denver area, and uh, we were about to t- leave. Mm-hmm. Um, and take his kids is how it was working out away from him. Right. That was tough for everybody. Um, I was trying to decide where to work. And believe it or not, my two options, I had other options that came up after I already accepted, were um, a, a school in Los Angeles and Alfred University, if okay. you can imagine differences. Um, and it, I it think made... I would have chose differently than you did. But... <laughs> <laughs> well, if you think about moving into a, what, a two-bedroom apartment with two, and then it turned out to be three kids, um, and not being able to afford that as opposed to coming here. That's and, fair. That'd be cheap. Plus, we were between uh, – Kim's family was mostly on the East Coast, and mine was mostly in Ohio. So we uh, – we chose here. I think we both thought we'd be here a few years and then move on. And here I am, thirty-seven years later. So yeah. that's what that's what we all think. Yeah, that would be here. But I mean, this really this area is an amazing place to raise kids. Yeah. Um, I do wish, I do wish that there was more for kids to do here, more options like yes, like a uh, 
like Rick had said that he owned a indoor uh, putt putt place. Yes. Or like a water park, like not a water park, but like a splash pad or something um, that you don't have to go and pay to get into a campground to get like, you know. I hear you. That, yeah. That, and even that, even that's new. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> um, so I remember the indoor putt putt place. Hey, really? <laughs> oh, yeah. Wow. My, my uh, stepdaughter, I, I mean, I think it's the same one. My stepdaughter uh, hung was, out there some. It was uh, where where Napa used to be, or yes. Whitwood Motors is. Yes. Yep. Yep. Yes. yep. <laughs> yep. Wow. Yep. I never knew that that existed until I I talked to Rick Whitwood about that. Yeah. It was well, crazy. You know well, what? Also, well, also seems like it really used to be a cool place to live back in the, the 70s and 80s. Well, of course, that, was, that would have been like the 90s. Was and, it the 90s? And, and the, a lot of the stuff, looking back at the things that you hear about being cool about Wells Well, and I think a lot of that stuff had already started to die out by the time okay. I moved here. On the other hand, that left a lot of cool things still here. So, um, and, on t- and the, the putt-putt thing came and went. Yeah, he said um, it was only open for like three years. Yeah, yeah so I, that was a new thing, <laughs> and it t- turned out to be quite the teenage hangout for a while. Um, yeah, I, you know, when they before runnings came in, yeah, I kept thinking they should have put a uh, an indoor go kart area in in that space. As soon as you said indoor, I'm like go kart. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. I'm sure there was a lot of people that thought that because <laughs> yeah. that went through my mind. <laughs> Every man in Wellsville. <laughs> um, so you, you you obviously didn't go to LA and you started teaching at Alfred uh, University. And what year was that? Eighty six. Oh my goodness. Yep, it was before I was born. And when we moved here. Kim was already um, seven months pregnant with our son, who was okay. born just before Christmas in 86. Mm-hmm. And our kids all went to school here through high school, except the youngest. The youngest, um, when he was uh, the summer before his senior year in high school, he begged to go to uh, Interlochen School uh, Camp for the Performing yeah. Arts in Michigan. Yeah. That's where uh, Felicity, Felicity Morrison went. Yes, yeah. and that's where... Um, more to the point, Judy Balin's son, Ben, went when he was learning trombone. He's a professional trombonist now. Okay. That's how Dan really found out about it. And with thanks to some Kim's uh, stepfather in particular, we sent him to camp that year. But he went there with the notion that he was going to spend his senior year. at. They have a high school there, too. And he was going to spend his senior year there. And we kept saying, well, we can't afford that. Oh, and yeah. uh, so, But he said, well, I'm going to get aid. And he went there and he got Enough aid that we couldn't say no. Dang. But we had to say goodbye to our kid a year early, and that was our I, empty nope. nester. So yeah, it was. Uh, but he so it led to his. He's now a professional actor and uh, um, faculty member at a small college down in North Carolina. Yeah. So my kids, my Abby lives in New Jersey and uh, near Philadelphia, and works in sort of the um, conference industry, really. Yep. And my and she has a son, Colin, who's um, nineteen okay. uh, and starting in uh, computer game design. Uh, oh yeah, that's training. massive. Yeah, a lot of people like that. And my stepson Chris has three kids. They live outside of Washington D.C. in a town called Haymarket, mm-hmm. and uh, he, he works for Homeland Security, which is no doubt busy right now. And my son Dan a, works at Brevard. Is he a double agent? Well, let's hope so. No. <laughs> Either way, uh, if he is, I don't want to hear about it. <laughs> you would never would. You never that's, would. That's true. Last to know. Yeah. Um, so. How did how did you start out teaching? Like, how did it go? What did you teach kids? Because there's so many new discoveries that I do want to get into. Okay. Um, but how, like, how has that changed from when you started to? I mean, I know you're only part time now, but how has um, you know physics and, and astronomy changed since the 80s to now? Teaching it, especially. Yeah, there's 
I'm going to separate for a minute the physics and the astronomy, even though to really do astronomy, you need to know a lot of physics, yeah. right? But numbers. But a lot of people <laughs> take the intro course, uh, don't know any physics, and we have some people really terrified of math that come into that, so we don't lean into math and that. <laughs> terrified of math. That's why I married a math professor. Yeah. I was going to say, <laughs> let's make your discussions at home interesting. <laughs> um, so if, first of all, every old professor thinks that the students over time get worse. Okay, yep. <laughs> um, I do think that students seem to be struggling more with the quantitative aspects, the math aspects of physics as they come in than they used to. Um, that said, Alfred's also attracting some better students mm -hmm. than they used to. So there's been sort of cross currents where some people, you get some really superior students and then some students that are, have, need a lot more handholding and in a good way. I mean, that's what they're paid for. Right. Faculty members should be handholding and helping people along. In astronomy, the... Um, the changes have been, um, I think, spectacular but incremental. Okay. Right, and and in some ways that was a that's the power of the older parts of astronomy that they actually got some things right or right ish. Mm -hmm. So there haven't been too many significant overturnings of the of the understanding of the universe. There have been some, and um, and there's still some things happening that we don't quite have a grip on okay which by the way it's always tricky in the sciences to teach the science with authority but not with um so much certainty that you leave out the fact that not all of this is known right because there's so many theories so many, i mean we could talk for five hours yeah. on, on theories yeah. on <laughs> yeah and, and the tricky part about theories is the word means different things to different people right, right. so for example in physics when we use the word theory that's high praise Right, if something reaches the point of being a theory, okay, it's serious business, right? So, for example, um, Newton's theory of gravity, oh yeah, which turns out to not be right, right? It's not, no, but it's right enough. Oh, hold on, why up, is it not right? Well, so it turns out that to really understand gravity, we have to move beyond Newton <laughs> into Einstein. Okay, right? and Einstein's theory of gravity at the sort of scales where you and I live mm -hmm. completely agrees with Newton's theory of gravity. Okay. Completely agrees. But when you get into other scales, in particular scales of very massive objects, mm -hmm. um, close, you know, close proximity of objects that are very massive, um, Newton's theory doesn't, doesn't make the right predictions. It doesn't make spectacularly wrong. It makes incrementally wrong predictions. Right? So that people trying to fix... Newton's theory, mm -hmm. um, we're trying all sorts of different things. And then finally, um, Einstein kind of um, looked over here and said, I'm not going to do it that way anymore, um, and came up with a way of thinking of gravity that's almost impossible <laughs> to visualize hmm. easily. But um, So Newton basically said, I don't know what gravity is. I know how it behaves, and it behaves this way. The further away objects are, the weaker the force between them. The more massive they are, the stronger the force between them. And in a very quantitative way, a formula, and it worked to predict the orbits of the planets almost okay, um, pretty accurately. Um, and, but he didn't say what it was. I mean, it, and in science, in some ways, we never say what something is. We just say how it behaves. Yep. But Einstein... Um, People had noticed that if you want to look at the orbit of Mercury, and you look at it really carefully, it doesn't behave right. Mm -hmm. it, it, the orbit changes its orientation slowly. And Mercury is the, the closest planet to the sun. Closest planet to the sun. Yep. 
Remember, just I said, for those of you who didn't know. Yes. <laughs> and remember, I said massive objects in close proximities is yep. where the rules break down. That's where we're talking about here, right? Okay. So it's a small effect, but um, over time they said, well, it's because of Jupiter. No, it's because of the Earth. It's because, and they tried to factor in all these other terms, and that wasn't right. It wasn't fixing it. And you know, we can spend all day on this, but Einstein basically said, we're thinking about gravity the wrong way. Yep. He said, gravity is, and I'm jumping lots of hoops here. That's okay. Hurdles here. Gravity is the effect mass has on space-time. Oh. And space-time becomes, in Einstein's theory, kind of a, an entity. I mean, not, a, not with a personality, but kind of a, a thing, a single thing, space and time. And that the presence of matter in it bends it. Okay. And that bending is in a direction we can't possibly point. You'll see all sorts of analogies where you say, put a bowling ball on a bed sheet and the bed sheet gets bent. And, and that's nice, but that's a two-dimensional surface being bent in three dimensions. Mm -hmm. Somehow, with Einstein's gravity, we're talking about four-dimensional space or four space-time. And 4D. then <laughs> being bent in a fifth direction. And so you can't visualize it. Right. Um, but the ultimate test in science is, well, what's it predict? And you plug in... Einstein's theory of gravity with Mercury and the sun, mm -hmm. put them in orbit, and Mercury's orbit does exactly what Einstein, what we see. Right. So Einstein predicts exactly what, what Mercury does. So that's an example of a theory. Yeah. Right? That's how we got here was talking about theories. It's Einstein's theory of gravity. It's the uh, theory of general relativity, right? So that's a pinnacle. Mm -hmm. um, in physics, and this is a very, I think, a fairly limited um, use of the word. In physics, the word law almost always um, involves an equation that you use without justifying it. You say, well, this equation works. And in some ways, in fact, when I said Newton's theory of gravity, there may have been a few people cringed if they <laughs> were listening, saying, well, it's really a law of gravity because it's just an equation. And there's no explanation for why it works. It's just that it works. Right. right? And so there's other laws and how a spring works. There's a simple law for that. And so the word law is actually less than a theory in many ways in physics. It's not like something that's on the edge of being wrong, mm -hmm. although everything in science could be wrong. So is E equals MC squared a theory or a law? It's the result of a theory. It's the result of a theory. Yeah, it's the result of the special theory of relativity. Okay. Um, yeah. Um, moving back into to Alfred, and we, I had asked if, if uh, students now are different from students back then. And the reason I asked that, because I, I was wondering what it's like with the YouTube generation. Um, and what I mean by YouTube generation is if I want to know something, and even in my job today, if I want to know something, I'm going to watch it on YouTube and I'll know. Although, I mean, I'm sure in, in, in astronomy and in physics, there's multiple different different mindsets. But for what I do, it's just like, this is how it's done. Yeah. Um, do kids come in, you know, after watching other people, you know, as a teacher, especially in something that's so broad um, as astronomy or physics, are there kids that come in and are like, well, you're wrong because I watched this YouTube video and this is what this person says, and it makes sense. I don't think I've ever heard anybody say I was wrong. Okay. I have pointed people to Khan Academy on occasion. All right. Gets, and in Khan Academy, I don't haven't looked at it in years now, but did a really good job of some of the same kind of things that, mm -hmm. that we try to teach. Um, and some often the same way, just saying it twice sometimes. I think that I think in terms of YouTube generation, it's certainly true. Okay, that's probably too strong. <laughs> most people, most professors would say they think the students ignore their textbooks way right. more than they used to. And they pay way more than they used to. Or at least if they, 
my di- division at Alfred has basically gone completely to free online textbooks, okay. um, with a few exceptions uh, for particular courses. So, but but if you know if you want to buy an intro physics book now, kind of the classic ones that are being used around the country, hopefully good for two or maybe even three semesters, you're going to pay two hundred fifty bucks for a new one. When I was in college, I paid twenty five bucks yeah. for that, and, and minimum wage back then was about two fifty, and minimum wage now in the country is still seven fifty, right? I think in the country, yeah, um, New York State, it, I think is fourteen. We're almost at fifteen. Yeah, yeah, we're about to hit fifteen. Unless you're uh, working at McDonald's Burger King, then you get fifteen. Yeah, but you think how long <laughs> it took me to work to get a, a textbook? You know, ten, yeah. hour, ten hours and take yep. a student, especially somebody in a state that work gets seven fifty. They'd be working for weeks and weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so um, I think students ignore their texts more. Yeah. Um, I think I'm a little surprised students don't seem to take notes like they used to. It's yeah. almost like that's been discouraged along the way, maybe. And I get it in some ways because sometimes you can get completely focused on note-taking and not really learn something. It goes through your brain into your hand, and that's it. Um, but one thing, I, this is the last time officially that I'm teaching my astronomy lab, and one thing I've been actually doing is when we do a – a, uh, when they submit a report on something we, they observed, I'm asking them to submit their notes too. Oh, um, yeah. actually, Nicole, just, Nicole started doing that. Oh, okay. She, yeah. she, well, I guess not necessarily notes. She with math, she has to. She wants the kids to submit their work. Work. Yeah, yeah. I guess. See how they worked it out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And in fact, some of my colleagues will not talk to a student about a homework problem until the student shows them their effort. Okay. That they tried to do because they're just. I think. All of us. I mean, you think about what goes into the YouTube thing, or, or uh, I was teaching a computer science course or a computer programming course one time, and then you suddenly realize, oh, every one of these programs I'm doing is out there. <laughs> yeah. what, am I, what am I really getting them to do? Right. I mean, it's not wrong. If I was writing a computer program, I'd see this. So I wound up having to do in-class assignments mm-hmm. for programming. But anyway, it, it, it's, it's, it makes some sense that you we're such an instant information society that you would grab onto something to get the answer, yep. but to get the understanding of where it comes from, which is really the goal, right? I, who cares <laughs> the rate of oscillation of a mass on a spring, right? But learning how to do oscillators is a big deal because it works in so many different areas. I mean, these microphones are basically functioning as oscillators. And I have no idea what an oscillator is. So. Something that just wiggles back and forth, <laughs> okay. either physically or electronically or electrically. It makes it, right. you know, so when we're speaking, these are condenser mics, right? Yeah. So there's basically a, a, a capacitor. I couldn't think of the other word. And this isn't exactly what's happening, but the capacitor is wiggling. Yeah. And that gets translated into an electrical signal variation. Sound waves. Yeah. Well, the sound waves are coming from me, and that capacitor changes that into electric signals, electric oscillations. And that goes into your system. The amplifier increases the amplitude. Amplifier. Yeah. Raises the amplitude. I'm going to learn so much doing these podcasts. (laughs) (laughs) So... um, the, when you take a beginning physics course, the point is never to learn exactly that thing. It's to yeah. learn how to do that thing, right? And that's the hard part is getting people to not just want to go straight to the answer and, and instead, mm-hmm. how'd you do it? Tell me how you did it. How and did if it? I can put in a plug for small, small schools, yeah, I taught one year at Colorado State University. I liked Fort Collins a lot. Um, and how big is that compared to Alfred, I guess, just so people understand? That, well, in terms of the... Uh, I think Colorado State is on the order of 20,000 students. Uh, Alfred University is less than 2,000. Oh, wow. So, and I, 
one of my classes had 250 students in it. So the only kind of exam we could give was uh, multiple choice. Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> and the real strange part about that, you say a multiple choice, how can you figure out what, how to do something? How can somebody, so I, my first instinct was, well, I'm going to ask questions where you have to answer kind of how to yeah. steps into multiple choice. Problem with that was, if you had one question that you didn't have any idea how to do, it counted against you for four answers. Oh, geez. Right? So we wound up with lots of multiple choice questions. I didn't know any of the students well, and I felt like I wasn't at all convinced whether they had learned what they did. Some of them did, some of them didn't. And I really had no connection to that. Mm -hmm. Come to Alfred, or it was another small college, and um, typically, you know, we have like 13 to 1 or 15 to 1, you know, in, in a class. Some of our bigger classes have 30 or 40 students, but that's that's huge for Alfred. Yeah. Um, you get to know the students, especially the ones who want to come in and get help. And uh, they come and get help from the, from us, usually. Although that also, you can tell me whether you <laughs> think this. I think students come came to me less and less with time. And I, my I have a two theories about that. One is that they're they don't want to, for some reason, students are more embarrassed when they don't know something than they used to be. Oh. And the other is, I think the older you get, the less students want to talk to you. <laughs> <laughs> See, I'm the, I would be the opposite, though. I would I would want to talk to the, um, I would just trust the older professors more that they knew. Yeah. And But there is, I will say, like if they're too old, where they're just like running through the motions until they retire, I'd be like, eh, maybe I don't want to yeah. talk to that person. yeah. yeah. Um, but you know, if, I never am ashamed to ask for help. And yeah. I tell like all my That's interns good. and employees, I'm like, listen, if you don't know something, ask, please yeah. ask, don't try to figure it out yeah. on your own. I might say, watch this or something so you can figure it out yourself, but I'll point you in the right direction. That makes perfect. That's a great yeah. way to be. That's you're a very good mentor then. Um, I try to be. So, yeah. That's good. That's good. Uh, cause I was, I was, uh, I had a very good mentor. Um, two mentors when I was when I was first starting out in my career, so mm -hmm. who would always help. So it just makes I'm never too big to help someone, if especially if it's going to make my work better, right? You know, right. <laughs> so. especially if it keeps them from breaking your equipment. Exactly. <laughs> so, right? yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so did did uh, did Alfred? You always have. Okay. The, well, so the you got your picture up here. Yeah, that's the observatory, and it's probably pretty dark. I took this at. Uh, Around dusk the other night, I kind of like being at the observatory at, at dawn or, okay, I'm never there at dawn. But, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the sun doesn't rise there until later, but in the, or in the early evening, um, because you start to get a sense of where things are going. Mm -hmm. that, that's a fairly cloudy sky, so it wasn't a great night. But um, the observatory, there was an observatory built on the Alfred campus in 1863. Oh, geez. And the, if you can imagine the boldness it took in 1863 to decide Oh yeah, I know the country's in civil war, but I'm going to buy a telescope. Yeah, right. And they bought it for what its time was a pretty good sized telescope, and they, they it had to come. I think it came by railroad to Elmira and then wagon to Alfred. And you know, how old is Alfred? Just sorry, just of okay. Well, how old? I, is... I forget. 1840s, 1830s. Okay, is when it, yeah. They're going to kill me because I don't know the exact. They answer. probably won't be listening to this. But it's uh, it's yeah, a couple. It's. Yeah, it's coming up on a few hundred years, but uh, wow. Yeah. Um, so, and, and the, you know, the university had been there for a while before the observatory was built, and uh, so the guy built the observatory. It was in place until the 1920s, but the guy, the guy who built it, left in you know, like the 70s or something, and a couple other people tried to run it. Um, there's parts of the past I don't quite understand because another guy came at the end of the 19th century who 
built his own observatory on the edge of campus. Um, and I don't know what was going on with the regular observatory. And then in the 1920s, there was nobody doing astronomy at all. And uh, eventually, I think there was a language department meeting in the observatory at that time, and they, they eventually tore it down and built other buildings. If you're on a university campus, kind of where uh, um, Howell Hall, you know, next, mm -hmm. to the, next to the Caroline, that's where the observatory was. Okay. You think of the Howell Hall as being old, but uh, the observatory is there. Telescope got stashed away. And uh, in the 1950s, John Stull, um, who had graduated with his PhD from Alfred in ceramic engineering, I think he was looking to stay there, and he, he got hired to teach physics at, at, at Alfred. So he was good enough at physics that that was a smart thing to do. Mm -hmm. So he stayed, and he, some point along the line, early, late 50s, early 60s, he got interested. He found out that this telescope was on the campus. And uh, it was stashed in the attic, literally, of a building. It had gotten damaged. How did they get it up there? Yeah, it's a good question. It's, it's, <laughs> it's quite a quite a ways up there. Um, actually, the uh, it's this telescope. Um, oh wow! And that um, that's a pretty neat picture. It's a little blurry, but I'd like. Was it dismantled or uh, it was up there? Yes, yes. I mean, okay. everything. I think even the lens was removed from it at the time. Um, and this telescope actually is the only the only part that's, that's from the original telescope is the lens, and the okay. lens is up there just to the right of the moon <laughs> um, in the picture. That's where the lens is. So the lens is the original 1863 lens. Really? Yes. Mm -hmm. Wow. And I just recently did some significant work on that lens. And it's better than it was. It, things get out of alignment over time. Um, so the, then he got that out and started using it. And he would literally put the telescope up and down, this big thing, every night. And then he got it so it was kind of under a cover. But he put, took the lens home and put the lens in every night. And then in, in the 60s, he built or invented a piece of equipment called the, uh, the linear air track. It's designed to teach physics. They're less popular than they used to be, but um, many, many physics departments and high schools and colleges had them. It's basically, a, 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 if you imagine, a long tube, a triangular shape eventually, mm -hmm. um, that had holes drilled in it. And then air pushed into it, and the air would come out through the holes and make a little bit of an air cushion. And then a piece of metal that shaped kind of like this would sit on top of it and would glide almost frictionlessly. Okay. So he had seen something else and, and he, uh, he invented this. Um, it actually took off and he, so he started making money from it. And he, oh. he took that money and the university together started building the observatory. Mm -hmm. So we go back to this. Over time, we accumulated, there's a, two telescopes not shown in this picture. There's uh, to the left in the picture. Um, and over time, he built five telescopes, um, buying, always buying the optics. Yep. Oh, sorry, built four. Um, and then we, we since then bought some commercial telescopes that were replaced some of the ones he built. Okay. Um, but there's still two of the ones he built. And then the, the, the refractor, the, the one I had to picture before, is one he substantially rebuilt. And what was this gentleman's uh, name again? John Stahl. John if you know Stahl. Peter oh, Stahl, the bicycle oh, yeah. man. Okay. Uh, that's his dad. All right. His dad. And his... Uh, John's, oh, the, the bicycle man in, in Alfred. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And his, uh, by the way, Peter's mom, John's wife, Paula, just died a couple of weeks ago. Okay. So that she was in her 90s. And uh, they, they were both great people. John died several years ago. Um, so the, over time, the observatory got to be this five-dome thing, then a little baby dome that you can just see in that picture. And uh, different telescopes have been in and out. But uh, And uh, I took over as director sometime in the 90s and... Um, and now, with me retiring, there's a new guy. His name, <coughs> excuse me, his name is Joshua Thomas. Yeah, I better do that. <laughs> so where was this, uh, where is this located now? Okay, so if you know um, 
Well, the easy way to tell people from Wellsville to get there is you go into Alfred from the south and you turn east on Terrace. And Terrace, if it weren't for some big house, it would go right into the observatory parking lot. But there's a house in the way, okay. two houses. So you wind up taking a right and a left and a left. So you go around and then you're at the observatory. So it's in the southeast corner of the campus. Okay. Um, the nearest campus building to it, because you know, it's a ways off campus, is probably are probably the apartments, as people call them, mm-hmm. um, um, at the southeast of the campus. It's open to the public, by the way, on Friday nights from 9 to 11, if it's clear. Yeah. Um, and there's a Facebook page that pretty soon we'll start doing. In the transition between me and a new director, there's some things that we still haven't ironed out. One of them is getting him on the Facebook part. Because, <laughs> you know, as they say, Facebook is for grandparents, and he, I'm the grandparent, and he's the young, cool guy. So oh. I got to get him in there. But uh, um, I disagree. Yeah, well, uh. you, you post nice stuff on Facebook. <laughs> on behalf of grandparents everywhere. Thank yeah. you. Thank you for <laughs> um, what, and, and real quick before we go more into it, what is a perfect clear day? Like what, what type of day should people look for if they want to go to see the best results? That's a good question. Um, if you, Moonless, like new moon? Well, see, that depends on the person. Um, astronomers learn to appreciate moonless nights. Yeah. Okay. If I'm showing the sky to um, beginners or, or people that just don't have much experience with that, for me, the ideal circumstance is roughly what we call a quarter moon. Yep. And with Saturn in the sky. Okay. Um, and Saturn is in the sky right now um, in the evening. Um, I like quarter moon because um, if you stop and think about what you're seeing, remember the moon, like the Earth, is always half lit. Yeah. <laughs> I'm always half lit. <laughs> <laughs> um so that when you're seeing quarter moon, you're seeing the moon from the side. So one part is unlit, the other part lit. Sun's over here shining on that. So when that's the case, you're having along this edge where it turns from day to night, you're having long shadows. Yeah. Right? So this long shadows make it easy to see lots of relief features on the moon. Okay. If you have a full moon over here, the sun's shining on it that way, all the relief features are kind of washed out. Their shadows are as small as they can possibly get. Yep. So you don't see as much. So full moons are just annoying to me. Um, I mean, <laughs> not, I, not to werewolves. I, I, well, I, <laughs> how did you know? Oh, oh. <laughs> yeah. So I so I like a quarter moon, but but there's always cool things in the sky, and it's so um, unpredictable when it's going to be clear around here. If somebody mm-hmm. you know, just looks out on a on a Friday night, now you got to be careful because we're not open. They're not open in uh, December, January. Okay. Um, they stop with the Friday night stuff in May, and they switch eventually. It's May, June to uh, Thursday nights, okay. um, and that's a little later because of the it's dark. Right. It's dark. Later. I feel like it's cold weather would be better to go out just because of the well, the, yeah, the nights it's longer. The nights longer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's of course it's cold, yep. and in our domes, uh, at least where the actual telescopes are, there's never any heat there. If you had heat, then that would cause Locked the air to move, and and you you would not. It makes everything blurry, like looking over, oh, like looking over yeah. a charcoal grill. Right? Okay, I didn't think about so. That. that we and plus you're opening the roof. Yep. Right. So to have you know, like in this picture, <laughs> Bye, heat. Yeah, that's right. You'd have no heat in there at all. <laughs> so except it would be making things move. So so yeah. So um, this doesn't look like a particularly good night in this picture because there's some uh, nice hazy <laughs> sky and yeah. clouds. But uh, although you can look at the moon, that's clear. You know, the moon's clearly there. But it looks pretty full though, so maybe not optimal. <laughs> <laughs> what yeah. about what about kids? When, yeah. When's the best time to bring kids? Anytime? Yeah. Well, I think that's one thing that's really great about the fall and spring, I and mean, before we switch to summertime, because it's not 
as late. So late. Yeah. And it's a Friday. Yeah. Right? The only way we moves to Thursday was so that people that are working there have their weekends free um, mm-hmm. in the summertime. So, yeah, I'd, I'd say, you know, especially September, October or March, April, um, getting a kid there. Probably with little kids in particular, it's good to, for it to be a, a, a night with a moon mm-hmm. because um, the, tip, <laughs> the typical little kid way of looking in a telescope, first off, if this is the end of the telescope, <laughs> right, a typical little kid does this. Right? They, they, they don't do this, they do this. And so you got to kind of put your head around this way. And with something like the moon, huh. I can be looking at their eye and I'll see the moon hit their eye. Right? Really? And I'll say, okay. I know they're seeing something. Right. Um, and with Jupiter's bright enough, you can do that too, or, or Saturn sometimes. Um, other than that, you can often, you know, what do you see? Uh, and they, <laughs> they don't want to say they don't see anything. They, yeah. so, uh, and so it takes a while to, so making sure they see something is, is important. And I think so the moon and Jupiter, those kind of things. Let's get older, you know, kids, I think any, any time is fine. Um, and, I encourage people to do that. Yeah. Talk about things to do. It's not like we are a teenage hangout over there at the <laughs> observatory, but it is something to do on a Friday It'd night. It'd be a good date night activity, I feel like. There's a guy, I will not mention his name, um, but his wife said, told me that they really, he actually was involved with the observatory, and he said their first night that they were seeing each other, that's where he took her, was to oh, the observatory. I feel like that would be pretty romantic. Yeah. You know, like, look at the stars, I named this one after you, yeah. <laughs> or something. Yes, yeah, right. Um, so we're, you're, the observatory has been there for a long time. Yeah. Obviously, it's moved. Um, have you? What's your favorite thing to look at when you go up there? My favorite things to look at will change with time, but my favorite thing to show people is Saturn. Saturn? Um, there's a lot of things that, that when you look through a telescope, you know, all the images we see uh, these days, many of them are taken from space. Um, and then... Even the ones taken from the ground are time exposures, right? So that you see all sorts of details and things. But if I want to show you, I could show you the closest big galaxy to us, the Andromeda galaxy, and show you on a great night through at least our typical size telescopes, and you're just going to see a fuzzy ball there, mm-hmm. right? Turns out that if your eyes were sensitive enough, the Andromeda galaxy is as big as a full moon is in the sky. Really? It's, it's, that, it's a huge galaxy. It's just that most of the outside part of it is faint. Um, so that often when I show people something that for me is remarkable, I'll say, wow, this is, I can't believe I'm seeing this. And I'll say, it looks, there's just a little fuzzy thing here. Um, even, um, it is possible. I've only done this once actually myself, but it's actually possible to show someone a quasar, but a quasar just, it looks like a star. Okay. And in fact, John Stolbeck used to do the same thing every time. He'd aim, he knew what exactly what that field looked like. So he knew which one wasn't the star, that it, it was the quasar. And then he would, it was really brilliant. He put his fingers on the person's back and say, okay, you see this star? And you see this star? This is the quasar. Okay. And it's amazing how well that translates into seeing. What, so a quasar would be, that would be something that's 7 billion light years away. Jesus. Yeah. We could never get to it. <laughs> True. In our, in our lifetime. Uh. Yeah. Um, and um, so that sometimes just knowing what you're seeing makes it more interesting. Yeah. Um, but I'm a solar astronomer. Right? So that for me, looking at the sun okay. is the thing. And um, that's in some ways the easiest thing to see, right? But of course, it's the most dangerous. You have to have everything just right. Um, so Next year is your year then. 
You mean because of the eclipse? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. We're, I've got some stuff here to say about that. But the, I mean, we even have a little, a fairly nice setup at, the, at Alfred to, to do solar observing different kinds. Um, you can look at the sun at all wavelengths and just keep them all way down so you don't damage anything. Or you can make very select, you know, narrow selections of wavelengths, which show you different things about mm-hmm. the sun. And uh, so we've got a setup to do that. And I've just had some students over there the other day taking some pictures of that. I don't think I threw one of those in this mix. But Can you set up a camera into it? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'd love to do that. Oh, yeah, we can do that. You can do video <laughs> with it if you want to. Um, I do. <laughs> I mean, what we're using on it right now is a, a uh, on the one is a Canon uh, mirrorless telescope uh, camera. Um, yep. But I have adapters. Well, I don't know. I, don't I, know use, I use Sony mirrorless. This this is a Canon lens mount. So this is the EF mount. Okay. Uh, Canon's mirrorless is different than the it EF is. mount. It is. It is smaller. So now we have. R. I have a couple of adapters for Canon. Instruments, yeah. Canon Canon cameras, but so sometime we'll work that out. And, yeah. and you can also do it through the <laughs> through this telescope up there, with uh, um, like at the moon or well, actually you can take time exposures and do anything. We even, I mean, lots of our students will just. Uh, we'll walk up to the telescope, put their cell phone on the eyepiece, and take a picture. Yeah, uh, cell phones are crazy. And it now. works out. Yeah, yeah. Some of the pictures you put up, and, yeah, yeah, <laughs> I, I think you've got better exposure control on your phone than I have on mine. But it, it uh, still, some, I took you a picture have of the phone. Yeah, afraid so. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, um, I've learned. I've also know I don't know everything about how to use it. But uh, yeah. So with the, uh, but with the eclipse coming. Yep. Um, how exciting is that? Is this like, is this so, when's the last time we've had an eclipse in our area like this? Because there was one just recent, like 2017, yes. right? They had yeah. to drive down to Florida to like really get there. Yeah, in fact, let me just, well, that was, that's another Ooh. one of our telescopes. Okay, so that's, that one looks pretty high tech. Yeah, this, yeah, and I, of course, I'm not known for tidying up my wires. So I've seen lots of wires. <laughs> Have here. you seen my studio? <laughs> Yeah, so that's our our 24-inch telescope. We have a 32-inch telescope, which is uh, currently undergoing an uh, an upgrade, but it was more... So does that mean the the circumference of the lens? The question, yeah. Uh, If you imagine... The reason that's important is if you imagine what happens to your eyes in dim dim light, your pupils dilate. So now imagine your pupil dilating to 24 inches or 32 inches, (laughs) how much more light you can take into the instrument. Yeah, this this was given to us by... uh, We have a sweetheart uh, (laughs) arrangement with a... Guy named Wayne Rosing, who used to be uh, vice president at Google, who gives oh, us stuff wow. and helps us out. Yeah, you know, long story, and I'll tell it some other time. But um, that's uh, I'll come back to this picture. But that's a picture during a total eclipse in 2017 as it got going. Okay. Um, this is when the wow. and remember now what causes a, a, a solar eclipse is that the moon passes directly between the Earth and the Sun, and mm-hmm. it casts a shadow. But the shadow is quite small on the Earth relative to uh, things, so you have to be within what's called the path of totality yep. for the moon. It is a coincidence that the moon usually is, a, is the same angular size as the sun in the sky, so it can cover, just cover up the sun, and then we can see the outer layer of the sun called the corona, and that's what most of the fuzziness here in the picture. Called is. the corona? The corona. Here's oh, a my. better picture. Whoops. I want to hate it when that happens. Go away. There we go. There's a better picture of the corona. Here's another picture with a different exposure. And is this all taken in 2017 at Alfred, or are these pictures well, that you? Well, so that, the, the story is that we went to Mar- uh, to uh, Missouri. Okay. Uh, 14-hour, uh, one-day van trip to Missouri. Took 13 people, I think. Um, stayed at a United Church of Christ church camp that I f- figured out was in a line of totality. Stayed two nights. We stayed the night, no, three nights. We got there, stayed one night. The day before the eclipse, we practiced everything. Yep. 
a couple of people in our group went over to, I think it's called Chaco, Chacoi. There's a, 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 a Native American uh, ancient uh, mound site not too far from central Missouri. It's over in Illinois. Okay. They went there. And then the next day we watched the eclipse. We stayed that night so we'd avoid all the traffic and yep. huge traffic, and then we drove back. Um, I was a little excited. <laughs> <laughs> That's my wife, Kim, next yeah. to me. Um, and I guess let me go back to this and, and say, well, let me jump here. Okay, so this is the eclipse in April, uh, April 8th in the afternoon. Three, 2024. 2024. And that, this is the path. Buffalo in, looks like smack dab. So, yep. So Buffalo, Cleveland, Buffalo, um, Rochester. Um, Rochester are all on what's called the center line, or very nearly, which is where the eclipse has its maximum duration. Yeah. This is a very busy picture, but it shows, um, and I need to credit these. I forget where I got these. So, but, um, so almost, uh, almost four minutes. Yes, right. Up there. Notice, and, and the people at the, in the tourism office here in Allegheny County keep wanting me to say this and remind people that it will be total briefly in the northwestern part of the county. Yeah. And actually just northern part of the county. So um, like Houghton area or, or Fillmore? Yeah, yeah, okay. exactly. And uh, it won't be total very long. And the closer you get to Rochester, Buffalo, the longer it'll be total. Where are you going to be? <laughs> so here, there's a couple of compli complications here. First of all, stop and think about what we're talking about weather-wise in western yeah. New York. Um in April, in 8th. April, yeah, in April, 8th, right? <laughs> we're still in Lake Effect. We're still in, so I'm and I. What I did was I looked over the satellite maps from the last uh, five years. One of them was clear on okay. that date. I chose that date. I chose the time of day, and one of them was clear. The other uh, four were cloudy. One of them was partly clear, so that it might have had it. And that was for all of Western New York. Um, Cleveland wasn't much better. My dad, ninety-five years old, um, ninety-four years. It lives. He'll be ninety-five just before that. Um, lives in Ohio, and if you look on that picture, there's parts of Ohio that are in the path of totality. So I yeah. may go drag him far enough north um, to, to get into the path of totality so he can see it. He doesn't have great vision anymore, but just to experience it. But here's something I really want to emphasize. This is a partial eclipse. Oh, one more. Now, this is actually the eclipse that will be total but this is what a partial eclipse looks like. Okay. The, the moon partly covers the sun. Yep. On Saturday, this Saturday, there's an eclipse that out west will not be total, but it will be what's called annular. I'll come back to that. Here, it will be partial. And when, it's, when the eclipse is ongoing, it will cover about 25% of the sun. And I chose this picture from the 2017 eclipse to represent what 25% coverage looks like more okay. or less. So um, now imagine just moving that thing across there until it covers almost all of the sun. Yeah. That's what we'll see in Wellsville. Okay. But we will see zero, nothing of this. Okay. And when, and again, remind me what the what the light around it is called. It's called the corona. The corona, okay. And it is part of the sun. And yep. uh, in fact, it's a weird part of the sun. It's actually hotter than the surface of the sun. Really? But extremely low density. So we won't we won't see the corona in Wellsville right. or Fillmore area, but if you go to, potentially, to Buffalo or Rochester. Well, if, you no, if you get it. up to Fillmore, you will see it briefly. Oh, if, okay. You'll see it briefly. Like um, the closer you seconds? get to Rochester, uh, I think, I don't. I'd have to look that up. It's the closer you get to Rochester, basically that center line, the longer it is up until about the three and a half minutes that we're describing before. Okay. 
here's what I've been telling everybody. Some people at Alfred University were saying, what can we do on campus for the eclipse? And I said, close school and send everybody elsewhere. Yeah. Because <laughs> it, it's not the same. Mm -hmm. 98% coverage is what, roughly what it'll be here is not 98% of the fun. Okay. Right? It's a few percent of the fun. You got to get into the the part of the, the, the um, path of totality to really enjoy that. Book your hotels now. And, well, <laughs> it's probably too late. Is it honestly. really? Um, uh, I was a little surprised. I thought maybe even Alfred's uh, Inn would be booked, and it wasn't a, about a month ago. Um, but it's starting to hit the fan now. And along the path totality, there's there's a bunch of us geeks out in the world that know exactly where the eclipses are and where to go. Yeah. Most of the ones who really, really, really want to see this one will not come to Western New York, right? They'll go to Texas, which is the path, if you notice that path. Because went, it's clear skies. It's normally. almost always clear down yeah. there, right? So that, whoops, where did I, I lost them. I keep hitting that thing. <laughs> um, this map, wherever that map was. When's the last time that we've had the path of totality in our area? I don't know. It would be centuries. Really? Yeah. yeah. So this is a really big deal then. There's another one in 2154. If you want to hang out for I it, don't think it'll be, be right down Main Street, Alfred. Apparently, I'll I, be I'd be two hundred years old. Doubt that I'll be I'll be alive by then. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What what, did you, what year did you say? I'd be two fifty four. I was born in nineteen fifty four, so it'd be uh, I'd be two hundred years. Twenty one fifty, you said. Twenty one fifty four, I think. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't even think my kids would be alive then. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> who knows? They're talking about thousand year old people at some point, but. Yeah, so I, if anybody, I was just hearing the Buffalo Public Schools is thinking about closing uh, for that day. Yeah. And the one thing that's tough is you so can miss this. gridlock. Yes. Traffic, I imagine. It's a look for this. You can find it online. I, I didn't bring a picture of it, but um, there, uh, there's a, like a video of Google Maps yeah. um, during and after the eclipse. And the, the you know the red they put in for yep. traffic just it grows along the path <laughs> and you can see you can tell the way the sun's moving in the, in the path that path went from sort of Oregon to South Carolina yeah um, in the middle of uh, right over here in uh, Illinois is the was it University of Southern Illinois in Carbondale Illinois oh my god it's on the path of totality for both this eclipse and the last eclipse i can't believe that they got that lucky and they, <laughs> i know that the last eclipse they put people just put people in their football stadium and they all watched it that way that oh i wonder if rochester buffalo because there's stadiums up there that are yeah. open-air stadiums yeah. like the red wings are, are open air in rochester now let me say a little bit about safety okay first of all in, in back in 94 there was what's I'm, I'm jumping around but let me show you another picture so this picture is showing us the eclipse that's going to happen on Saturday out west is going to look like the picture on the left. Okay. It's called an annular eclipse. And what's going on here is that the moon isn't always the same distance from the earth. Its orbit's elliptical, so it can be further and closer. So the eclipse pictured on the left would have been total if the moon was closer. Right. But because the moon's further away, the bright part of the sun shines around it, and you can't see the corona. Okay. Right? The corona's not visible. One on your right is a total eclipse, and and so there the the, um, the corona shines. The corona is very very dim, but it's, it, if you cover up all the sun, then it competes with the things in the sky. So in '94 there was an annual eclipse. I think it was '94 in Alfred. Okay. Right? And um, and we had people uh, come and look at that, um, but it, nothing. It's nothing near as spectacular as total. So so, so what. <laughs> I guess I just don't understand, for me, who's not in, in the, into space and, and, and solar astronomy, is why, what's the difference between the two? And why is it, why is it like a big deal? I mean, one's yellow and one's, you know, yep. white to me. So what, what's the... I mean, there's several ways to answer that question. Um, 
for complicated reasons, the first total eclipse I saw was the one in 2017. I okay. never, you have to travel the world to see them usually. So yeah. to have one in Missouri was quite close. I missed an opportunity to see one in Montana when I lived in Colorado. That was a terrible mistake, um, especially in my field. Yeah. Um, it used to be that's how we learned about the corona. And the corona does things. Okay. I mean, it conducts energy to the earth and so on. But the real truth is that it's rare to see okay. and spectacularly beautiful. I All mean, right. it's just hard to imagine. To look through these types of glasses, right? Well, I'll explain how these work in a half second. Um, well, I'll do it now. <laughs> so here's the thing. And I... Well, I know. I lost my own train of thought earlier. In 95 or 4, whenever it was, it had this antler eclipse. I think, I can't remember what I sent. I may have actually sent eclipse glasses with my son to school, uh, my stepson. And if I remember rightly, the story that I'm telling myself is, anyway, the teacher refused to let them even look out the window because she was afraid oh, of what would happen to him. And it's, it is possible to look quite safely at at the sun in an eclipse. And when it's total, during totality, you don't have to have anything on your eyes, okay? You can look right at it during totality. The tricky part is, so this this thing, this time here, Yeah. that's why, that's what I'm doing. See, I've got nothing over my eyes. And it's that bright? Uh, well, that's what's left is, you know, of course the exposure probably adjusted. Right, some, right, but, but I mean, well, I mean, it still looks, because yeah. I have terrible night vision, like terrible, oh, terrible, terrible night yeah. vision, so. You will see stars. Okay. Um, in the daytime, but only the brightest ones. Because right. um, I can't I see, see stars, like oh, aside from right? the North Star, I can't see stars just looking. Even on like a very clear day, yeah. I might be able to see three. And yeah. Nicole's like, look at all the stars. But because well, I just I'm can't. sorry. That's I know, bad. right? That's why I take, you use my cell phone. <laughs> yeah. Well, my, my left eye, I had a problem with it. So I doesn't see well in the dark anymore. But my, my right eye, I can see pretty well. But I think you would still see. Really? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, and by the way, the one thing that I also forget or for, didn't really reason through, even though you know it's true, these pictures are all taken kind of clo you know, as close-ups, basically, you know, telephoto lenses and stuff. It's actually amazing how small it is. Right. Um, if you think about the size of the moon and now put the sun up there and then the corona is slightly bigger than that, that's all the bigger it is. So you got all this stuff right. going on, but it's actually kind of small in the sky. Um, yeah, I've got a photograph that I didn't think to put in this mix that shows that so somebody else took it and it's the like a wide angle image that shows the ground and everything else. And this little bitty solar eclipse. Up stuff. It's really quite striking. So I think the main reason to go to those is because they're beautiful. I okay. mean, it really does come down to that. A um, perfect time to propose. Yeah. <laughs> and, and Annie Dillard, you know who she is? She's a writer. Um, she wrote this essay about watching the an eclipse, a total eclipse. And I can't remember the exact words, so I won't try to do it. But she basically... Describes going a little bit insane. Okay. Now, I was nowhere near a little bit insane when I looked I at it. I don't know, that photo. But, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but she looked, she really was quite struck by it. So okay. I think there's some people in particular that will find it uh, almost a spiritual experience in some ways. But uh, just. And I, and I wasn't asking that question because I, I was just, you know, yeah. from an outsider looking in, like yeah. the, the yellow looked just as cool to me as. You know, is this, but yeah. I'm not there in person, so if I'm just it, looking at the close-up images, like you said. Yeah, and if you were if you were using if you were using these kind of glasses, then the yellow one is for her perfectly okay to look at, but it's the only way to do it. Okay. Um, now people should get these; they're not expensive. I bought like 75 of them for, I think they're a buck, buck or something each. Um, I think the county is going to have their own, right? Too. And, and I saw Buffalo was going to pass them out. So, okay. um, but the, but there is a, a little bit of a you know, it sounds like well, duh, how you use them, but sometimes people just don't think. Um, if in order to use these, 
you don't look at the sun and put them on. You put them on, put on and look at, the sun, you look at the sun, right? Yeah, yeah. So I almost always <laughs> tell people, put it on, look down, and then I'm not going to get it through the earphones, and then look up. Now, of course, you and I, you and I aren't going to see a thing. In, right. No, no, it's, it's straight black. I'm looking yeah. at directly yeah. into the brightest light I have in here. Yeah. And it's, I can't see anything. And, and there are other ways. I think uh, welder's glasses, you have to be careful. They used to say welder 12, but I don't think they like that people anymore. People were using... I have a picture of the old studio that I worked at. We were using paper plates just with holes punched in them to look at it. Well, I'll tell you what. If you use paper plate with a hole punched in them, don't look through it. Um, the way that should work is as a projector. Oh. And so you use a pinhole can be used to project an image of the sun on another surface. We okay. had a guy that, uh, that went with us. Uh, we were uh, looking right through it. Yeah, not a good I put idea. The, well, I mean, I had the camera lens in it. but uh, okay. no, <laughs> Bob Myers, who teaches anthropology over at Alfred, he took, I think he made a bunch of pizza box uh, pinhole projectors. So you really? put a hole in one side and then have it reflect down or project down onto the surface. Um, kind of like the old camera obscuras were a hole in the wall that mm -hmm. have a room and that kind of thing. So that you, you're doing that. Um, sometime if you ever look in a room with Venetian blinds and the sun shining through with the blinds closed, you can see all sorts of little circular images. You stop and think, oh, there's no circle up there. Right. That's the sun. It's being Coming projected down, as the sun. So that and it's round you know, because pinholes do, don't change the shape right. of the object. Um, so that's a safe way. These are safe. There are a number of things you can buy that make cameras they safe. Can, like, do like the little yeah i wouldn't even it. no <laughs> i wouldn't do that no no in fact the politician should remain nameless set a very bad example during the last cups by looking directly at it from the steps of a large white building in washington dc um it was just stupid <laughs> but, <laughs> well um, i mean so but but there is when it's at totality you can't take safe. these off yes so for that three minutes and 40 some seconds if you're in that path yes but when, when should you, first of all, when should you take them off? Okay. And second of all, when should you put them back on? So, so what's really nice is if you have somebody, and this, this is get, getting fairly involved, um, at places where people are like taking real data and working on these things, there's always somebody who's got the exact time being broadcast, right? Oh, okay. And so you know the exact time. Yep. And there'll be somebody shout out, uncover, because usually most of the people that are taking pictures will have had filters on mm -hmm. before the totality. In fact, <laughs> let's go back and look at this picture. This is the brilliant scientist rejoicing in the uh, presence of the uh, eclipse of the sun. Yeah. Notice to the right, the telescope has a large silver thing over the front of the telescope. That's because the brilliant scientist forgot to take it off because it was taking pictures. Oh, at no. And I forgot for, oh, maybe 30 seconds. And it was a, about a three-minute eclipse. Okay. So then I took it off and got some pictures. But you can tell right there I was making a major mistake. But that uh, that thing at the top of the telescope there to my right is a kind of add-on filter you can get that make it safe to use a telescope or a, a telephoto lens or whatever. But when you get ready for the project, for, what I would do if I were going without a bunch of other folks around to help, first of all, your cell phone's a very accurate clock. Mm -hmm. um, I'd make sure I knew approximately the time, and there's ways to find that, um, of uh, when totality begins. And then I'd wait a second or two. Okay. But once it's total, you have no doubt. Yeah. Okay? It's not, there's not like... Now, will there be this? light coming through or will it be pitch black? It will not be pitch black. It, okay. Because the corona... Yep. Is lit. One of the cooler things, if you're in a higher location, is um, we sort of saw this in Missouri. You can look way off in the distance, and it'll still be in the sunlight. Right? Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. As it's, it's as it's 
moving through? Either because it's along the path or yeah. because it's parallel to the path, right? The path is this way, and you're looking and saying, you know, poor, but poor people out there. If you're so still there, you're missing going us. To Texas, then. Yeah. Well, yeah, because yeah. it's more flat than. And there's also places <laughs> where you can. Uh, there's these shadows that cross the ground. I didn't get to see those. It's got to do with the edge of the uh, moon interacting with the light. But uh, so yeah, um, yeah. So I was if if Saturday um, day after tomorrow was. Uh, or two days after tomorrow was uh, clear. I was planning on being at the observatory to let my students kind of see this kind of a, an eclipse. Yeah. Right now, it's supposed to rain like crazy on Saturday. Oh so, no! Uh, <laughs> and I think the, the the practical of of among us will say, you know, April eighth is not particularly likely to be clear here. I would still cancel school on the risk on the possibility that there was just enough of a thing. and then make students report on what they did or what yeah. they saw or something. I mean, like it's that. A, like you said, it's not going to happen for another hundred and. So years, yeah. 150 years. So. And, and, you know, like next October, not this, you know, a year in October, there's a another annular eclipse, the, mm -hmm. the, not with the corona, out, out west again. And people that get, I had a friend, uh, Henry Nebel, who uh, taught at Alfred for a while. He got into just going wherever. It gave him an excuse to travel. So I know he's been to Iguazu Falls in, uh, in Brazil, and uh, he went to uh, La Paz, uh, Mexico, to see an eclipse. I'm not sure where else he went after. What he, it would look like uh, in the yeah. Arctic. Yeah, they happen up there. Um, it, it's uh, it must be interesting. Where does it happen the most? Um, is it is it all sporadic, or is there like a, is there like Antarctica, or you know that happens quite a bit? I, I because of projection effects, the curvature it probably isn't all that common at, at either of the poles. But I don't know the answer about how it is at the poles. Otherwise, I would say just think of it as as. Equal probability anywhere. That's probably okay. not quite true. What's really interesting is the Babylonians understood that when they occurred. They actually came up with a predictive model for when they would happen, although they didn't know where on the earth they would happen. Right. And remember, we're talking 2,000 years BC. Oh, I, they were doing I, this kind of stuff, I so. love the Babylonians. <laughs> I, I think about there's a trend going around right now where people, where men think about the, the Roman, Roman Empire. Empire. <laughs> yeah. I'm that man because I love, I love history, uh, especially ancient history. And I love, I've just been listening to, uh, to a lot of podcasts and, and shows with Graham Hancock. I don't know if his name's ever, no, but yeah. so he has like a theory that, uh, that um, there was civilizations, not necessarily like ours, but very advanced civilizations before the last ice age that got wiped out during the last ice age, oh, during okay. the Younger Dryas period. Hmm. Um, and it's very interesting. And it's just a theory. Uh -huh. or, well, now you got me confused on <laughs> what theories are, but it's... Well, it's, it means different things. Different it's a hypothesis. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, but we do, we do have to wrap up. I okay. just have one more question. Sure. And I want a one-word answer. Okay. Do aliens exist? Don't know. Oh, that's two words. <laughs> no, but I really appreciate you coming on uh, and explaining um, about the solar eclipse that's going to happen next year. So April 8th, 2024. In the afternoon, three, roughly three. Roughly three That's when it gets total, 3.30 or something. Yeah. If you have not booked hotels, maybe you have a chance. Um, but uh, anything cool going on at, at uh, AU that you want to talk about aside from the observatory being open? Um, let's see. There's, I'm, I can't think of anything off the top of my head. The, the new guy, uh, Josh Thomas is going to be arranging for some things having to do with the eclipse. So the people okay. should stay tuned for that. Um, and, and, uh, a bunch of interesting changes have occurred within the astronomy and physics program. We, 
It doesn't matter as much as people might think, but we now have Bachelor of Science degrees in physics and in astrophysics. Okay. Um, and um, and there's some other things making it easier to double major in things that are on, underway. So that's cool for the students that are particularly interested. But in the meantime, always check out the events calendar for Alfred because there's lots of things that the rest of the county should be paying attention to. Cool. Yeah. Well, thank you for coming on, Dave. Thank you for inviting me. I really appreciate it. All right. I'll see you on the 8th. <laughs> Sounds good. You, you, me, and my dad. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I'll go to Ohio. Okay. <laughs>